Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ballplayer Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 71st episode of the podcast. And today, we get a chance to talk to Coach Eric Kibler. Coach Kibler is a legendary coach from Arizona, where he started the Horizon High School program in 1980. In 2007, he was national champions. He's won six 5A state championships, three other times he was in the state championship game, 20 regional championships, seven national invitational championships, um, 881 total wins uh, in Arizona, which is the most in Arizona history. He's had three first-round draft picks, 21 overall people uh, players drafted in the major leagues, and also works with USA Baseball. He's a USA Baseball staff member. He's been the coordinator of 14U and 17U Olympic Development 2018 started the 16U program. He's been the USA coach, the USA Baseball Coach of the Year in 2010 and 2012. He was the USA Baseball Development Coach of the Year. Multiple Hall of Fames, Arizona, Arizona coaches, high school, the National High School Association. He's been National High School Baseball Coach of the Year in 2018, as well as a five times Arizona Coach of the Year. Uh, coach Kibler just talks baseball we get into a ton of things and I just couldn't write enough um and uh, really helped me get better and learn a lot and we had a great conversation from the things he's seen the things he's kind of grown up and um through the lessons that he's learned and through uh, how the game's changed um in multiple ways and we get into his practice planning in detail and how he's down to the second like he says and I down to the second but um, what I love that comes out of this conversation, uh, and just an amazing man that he is, is the, the leadership that he does it and he models the behavior. He focuses on the trust and building trust in his players, and you hear the vulnerability come out when you talk to him and, and how he owns his mistake, and he's all about giving his players ownership, so he's owning it as well, and he's always modeling that behavior, and um just an incredible conversation, and I'm um, really fortunate to be able to have it with uh, such an unbelievable coach. And Coach Kibler, I can't thank you enough, and I can't thank those guys at Netting Professionals, um, our sponsor for the podcast. Uh, they're improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specialize in design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turrets, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, much more. Uh, go see Will Miner, Netting Professionals. They continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will, contact Netting Pros at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Look at them up on the website, nettingpros.com. Check out them on Twitter. Check them out on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn for all latest products and projects so again thank big thanks to will minor and those netting pro guys man um give them a shout give them a look and uh coach kibler can't thank you enough and all you guys make sure you're ready for your notes this guy gets after it and we just kept on rolling man um so without further ado here he is coach eric kibler yeah my administration then i still don't know why that i wanted to go one more year um, and I was going to uh, resign. I actually gave my letter of resignation there, but 
yeah, my principal and assistant principal thought our culture was bad, and that kind of backfired on them a little bit. So um, they a lot of they had about 250 people write letters for me. And make a long story short, I still don't know why they released. I was just wanted to do one more year because we had a kid that had cancer. It was it was uh, he wanted me to coach him another year, and there were a bunch of good kids at that time. So, but it's what it is. You got to move on. And then um, my kids handled it really, really well. I mean, it was a very emotional moment I had to tell them what was going on that was three weeks before the season was ending so but they did a great job of staying on social media keeping everything positive and not going down that that rabbit hole that uh, I think my administration went down so it's kind of a big deal but you know you move on and you know I'm coaching my grandson doing a club team at 13 14 you it's been great and um and yeah, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot coaching younger kids, man. Yeah. I think I've learned a lot more in two years than I did coaching high school. Just different ways of trying to reach kids where their brains are not kind of formed at all. And mm-hmm. it's been fun. It really has been. And coaching my grandson's been just phenomenal. Yeah. But so, but yeah, that's, but my story, I don't know if there's a story, but I mean, I just grew up in a real small town in, in Washington, Ohio, and it's mostly farming community. And so I just realized at a young age, no one, nobody went without, you know, I mean, like there's somebody that needed something, clothes, food, everybody was always there. So it was like this big team, you know? And so I just grew up that way. And my dad was just, uh, my mom were just such great people. I was really fortunate to have great parents and see them give back to the community so much. And then we built our own field in the back of a clover field back where kind of like our field of dreams. And then, and if we wanted to play and practice on it, the neighborhood kids and I would, we'd groom the field, mow it, trim it, and we got to play on it. So I don't know if I can take credit for anything as far as being humble, but I mean, I just, I told my kids when I started coaching, I go, I don't know any other way. It's not that I'm great or anything. I just don't know any other way to to be a good teammate and to give for each other. And nobody cares who gets the credit. We're going to be in good shape, you know, that kind of stuff. So I grew up in that kind of environment. So I really didn't know anything else being from a small farming community in Ohio. I mean, that's just what I saw. So kind of mold that into you when you play and then you mold it into when you coach. So my dad coached and he's still the best coach I ever had. He's really humble. This was ahead of his time before the game. He gave you ownership, you know, he taught you the game, taught you how to practice, but then he gave you ownership, which means that you're responsible. You have to be accountable to yourself and your teammates. And, and, you know, more than anything else, I learned to be a really good teammate at a young age and know that what's my job as a player and what's my job now as a coach. And, really helped me a lot. Um, so it's kind of a small story, but, you know, growing up in a small town was, it's kind of fun, actually. I don't regret it. It's great. Yeah. Not, and I'm here in rural too. Like, um, what brought you out to Arizona? I mean, if you've grown up in Ohio, what took you out of Arizona? Weather. <laughs> I guarantee it. Great answer. Great answer. No. I, uh, can agree, no, I can agree there. Absolutely. No. There's a longer story in that. Um, where I was, coaching and teaching I met my wife and then she kind of wanted to go out to the southwest and she'd been out there and I'd been out there before we loved it out there and and so the town it wasn't a real priority with baseball at that time and it was okay but I mean she got accepted at graduate school at Arizona State University so we just moved down to the van and found an apartment and dropped our jobs and that was tough because they had really good kids coming back I was really close to the kids after five years and Kind of building the program up and um so we we're successful there but i just wanted to that sounds i just wanted to 
go somewhere else. And my wife definitely wanted to get out of her hometown. So yeah. that's kind of the story there. But, you know, one thing when you come out here, though, the greatest thing about being in cold weather is when you get a gymnasium, you got to be efficient. Mm-hmm. And so I had to watch myself. I go, you've got to work on fundamentals. And so you get outside, you, you're so excited to be outside the first day of practice, which we never were in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And you get so excited to go. And I realized, you know, you're forgetting individual you're forgetting some stuff i mean you got to really pound in the fundamentals and the footwork and all that kind of stuff and so uh, that's what i i learned how to do i mean i took the inside practice kind of outside and um i almost forgot about the first couple weeks going this is so good we got out there and did a bunch of stuff we weren't ready then inside man i you can really do a tremendous amount of stuff as you know oh yeah i mean you gotta be you gotta be creative too you really have to be creative and yeah so that, that's kind of the fun part of coaching in Ohio. The other not so fun part was having all the cancellations yeah. and games. But you do it, you adapt by you just move on. But sometimes you played a lot, sometimes you didn't play as much. But there were great kids in that town too. There was, uh, I had super kids to work with, and they, they really responded to me as a very young coach. So I was lucky. Took things personal a little bit more as a young coach, you know, when you do. Yeah. And you grow up a little bit that experience go it's not about you right and um so i learned a lot from them i give them a lot of credit staying with me as a young coach and putting up with me <laughs> <laughs> but anyway that's the story back there that's why i moved out a little bit yeah but you asked me you said what moves me forward yeah i think you know the joy of playing the game as a child and I, it's just continued on i mean i still hopefully I'm a, I'm a kid my wife thinks I'm a kid anyway <laughs> and, but she likes that she says you're never going to grow up I go I hope not you know I remember Chris Bryant at the all-star game I don't know if you heard his interview said you know Chris you're playing five different positions for the Cubs does that make you like unsettled he goes no he says you know probably back to 10 11 year old days when I was playing low league I got to play all these positions it's a lot of fun he says I hope uh, he said this I hope I never forget about playing like a kid because I'm playing like a kid now and he's actually playing well, obviously. But he said that was a great comment to hear. Just, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm always want to play like a kid. I think Derek Jeter said that too. So that's what spurs me on because the game's given, given me so much. And, and you know as well, all you coaches out there know the relationships are just phenomenal with kids. And I've been in this so long that I've coached players' kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fathers and sons, which is just awesome. I mean, because they're very supportive. You know, they're real supportive because they know what's going on. The kid complains about something going, you know, then they're done that. Don't even go there. Right. So that's when you're older, that's kind of a fun thing to have happened to you. And it has happened. And it's been great to coach their sons and them that trusted me to do that. But yeah, so yeah, I just, I like coaching my grandson. I like coaching the young kids. And I think um, club baseball has its pros and cons. I'm out here. I don't think you're on baseball is a good thing at all. I think they should play multiple sports, especially around that to make the choice. So, um, but out here it gets a little obsessive, I think. Yeah. You know, playing too much and, and, and focusing too much on baseball is like, you know, specializing real early, which a lot of clubs want you to do. I think that's a mistake. I think you yeah, gotta let the kids do what they want to do and they'll make the choice as you well know well, do, so here's a question for you, coach, especially your grandson. What if your grandson said that, uh, Pap, I, I want to play all year round? 
Well, you don't play all year round because I don't. I stop. So well, we were, like that's what I'm saying though. Like because I think that's probably some of the thing is like when yeah. the kids make the choice and say, yeah. "Hey, I, I think I, I love it. I want to play all yeah. the time." You know, like yeah. how how do you how would you work through that with your grandson comes and says, "I I want to specialize. I want to play." This is what I we do. It. This is what we do with the kids. We we have our two seasons. Then we have a season of uh, where we do what we call active rest, where they do actually work out and try to improve. And then they they work on some individual skills, sometimes with me. Mm-hmm. Like if they work in, in the off season, so it gives them time to go through, you know, it gives them time to make an adjustment so they don't have to go in a game and repeat what they did before. So the months off, sometimes you're asking me if kids want to play year-round. Year-round to me is that those months off, they're doing some active rest or playing other sport or – they might just want to work on their hitting, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, they might work on their hitting for a couple of months to work through some changes that they need to make without having the pressure of going into a game. So when I say year round, I'm talking about year round, just playing like 160, yeah. 60 games as a 10 year old, you know, but I mean, if they want to keep playing, I, I think they keep playing it. Um, but I think they have a process of I always tell you, you got to be a better athlete to play the sport. So sometimes you have to train for speed, agility, strength, flexibility. So that's really part of training year round, but it's maybe you're not throwing for a month or two, you know, especially as a pitcher. So that's what I mean by year round. I don't, I mean, and then you're right. If they're, they're so passionate about it, I think you keep the passion rolling. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. I, I think, cause I, like I said, I think that's what's changed is where like, I think 20 years ago, I don't think you say like, well, my son will just, he'll, we'll just let him choose whatever he wants to. I don't think 20 years that was the case that, you know, many parents were making. I think they were like, no, we're just not going to do that. Like, you're going to do this and you're going to do it this way. Yeah. Would you agree? Like, do you think yeah, that, I mean, choice like, is, that choice for the kid has always been there? Like, that's what I'm saying. When the kid, the kid makes a choice and say, I'm just going to do this all the time. I want a good team or, hey, yeah. I just love it. Where 20 years ago, it might have been more like, no, you're going to do this. Uh, that's a good question. Um, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably, you know, parenting back then was probably a little more forceful for like, you are going to do this maybe, but that's probably true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. I don't know. I just, and, you know, I just... and, 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 and again, social media has changed yeah. <laughs> tremendously. So 20 years ago, social media wasn't an issue with kids. Now it is. So that changes a lot. I, I thought, I think it changed a lot. Oh yeah, how they perceive things and uh how they're being brought up. The pressures of it, the pressures of it too. Recruiting's changed. Yeah, recruiting and a kid's timeline, and you know, some kids, you know, I mean, I I didn't commit, I didn't commit to college till after I graduated high school, you know, and that's that's that'd be you know people be freaking out, you know, uh, nowadays. That was twenty years ago, and uh, so yeah, social media, good and bads, you know, and now now. You know, you can see, you know, let's say you were a college coach in Arizona. You could see me in Maryland. There's another, yes. that's, a, that's a positive about it, but there's it also is. there's also some negatives with it for sure. Yeah. I think the one success that kids need to understand is just play play for now. Mm. I think there's a lot of pressure on them. Social media, they see a kid sign or a kid verbally committed or and they're looking and you might have this, this happen to you too where kid comes into high school, he's, he's talking college or like, yeah. it's not even made his freshman team or he's made his freshman team but he's and it's okay to dream like that but I mean to put that much pressure on yourself I think your performance sometimes you don't have much much fun first of all I said 
all that stuff will take care of itself. You don't have to really worry about that because if you can play, they'll find you. But you're right, though. Like, I remember talking to a couple of Division One coaches. They said, I just took three kids around campus. They're 15 years old. They have no, <laughs> I have, have nothing to talk about for four hours, you know. And he said it was just like, wow, it's really changed. Like you said, like years ago, you, you were a senior and maybe you were getting connected with somebody. But I kind of wish we'd go back to something like that or the commitment of college would be instead of verbal. If you're going to commit, then you commit. But a lot of things happen between your sophomore year and your senior year mm. that could change a lot of things. And verbal commitments aren't in stone. I mean, college coach can, hey, uh, it's not going to work out. We're not going to have it. But I mean, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade kids committing. I mean, that's just wild yep. to me. Like, yep. I mean, you play with play with your team and enjoy the game. So I think that's changed. You're right. Hmm. Social media has changed that a little bit. It yeah. has in recruiting chain, college coaching's changed that, you know? So, I mean, I think people have this thing about travel ball and club ball too. It's like, I think college coaches have also made that a you know pretty big deal as well. And you're scooping, oh, yeah. up, you're scooping up ninth graders and 10th graders. And I'm like, wow, you know, like we better not be hanging around. You know, like it, you could, that just creates a little urgency for sure for people. But I was wondering like, so like biggest thing that me stuck out there too, it, you probably had these talks a lot with your USA baseball guys, you know? So I'm sure they come in thinking that they're going to get, picked up and committed right away and is there a lot of conversations you have with USA Baseball? When the forts when I first started doing 14U we did a whole um they did a great job did a for their 14U so that was back in 2012 yeah and so we did a whole recruiting thing we had a college coach come in a couple college coaches come in they were on staff and they talked about it but um they weren't committed back then as much as they are now some of them verbally but I mean um so that is an issue, but I mean, it was funny how many college coaches brought our 14U development watching 14U. Like Nick Madrigal was there. I remember Nick Madrigal was there. He's just a little kid, but he could really play. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and you know, some people looked at him like, well, he's going to be too small. He can't do this. Well, I said, when you're around a Nick Madrigal and you're coaching him, you'll realize that there's nothing this kid can't do. And he doesn't believe he can't do it. So he's <laughs> going to be really good. And uh, just because he was little. And obviously, he's really good. Uh-huh. Went to Oregon State and won a national championship. But, I mean, back then, they were looking at him. It's almost like when you do a 17U one, that everybody's almost committed. And they go, some guys come and watch them because they want to make sure that, you know, I'm up here watching you. I'm interested in you still, that kind of stuff. But 14U was uh, – I was surprised how many people were there even when we started. Then there's more. And 15U is definitely one. Oh, yeah. Sophomore. That's when they really come in and watch, like, USA and then – the 15U event is probably heavily scouted. 17U is maybe scouted. Some 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 college coaches come in because they still have some openings and they need some commitments. But for the most part, a lot of those kids are committed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's just the way it is. But I found out there. I mean, they're good kids. They're pretty humble. Those kids, and when we select them, I mean, they're 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 the kind of kid that knows that they need to work on a lot of stuff. And then when you bring them together which is shocking when you bring 40 kids together in 17 years or 16 years in the nation, which is a lot. And then they see, wow, I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that guy. Right. But they really are. I mean, they're not arrogant. I mean, they really work their butts off. They really, um, that's, and they, they wanted to, they wanted to be coached. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know, I, I want to be better. How do I get better? And some kids, I think were some coaches were afraid to coach them. I noticed mm-hmm. that someone, because they're so good mm-hmm. and they're afraid to coach them. And you could tell that 
they actually wanted to be coached. They wanted to be pushed. Because I always ask them when we did development, I go, okay, guys, you want to be good or you want to be great? Of course, kids are going to say great. I go, then the expectation just went up, guys. Mm-hmm. Great means when you're out in BP and you're an outfielder, you're paying attention to getting jumps on balls. You're not out there talking. That's good mm-hmm. versus great. You know, you're you're on task all the time. You're focused. We have a three-hour practice. The pace is going to be hectic, but you're going to, you're just going to have to bear down and focus. That's what great people do. And they get better every day and they make they make the next guy better. They make their teammates better. That's what great players do. And they just look at you, okay. So you can come back when they're not doing something. Well, some of them don't. I go, hey, you want to be great? You want to be good? You want to be great? Then that's not being great. I just left it like that. I didn't say anything else. I go, You're the one who made the commitment. I did. I just asked the question. And I tell yeah. kids that in high school, I go, you want to be good? You want to be great? You want to come? Or if I, it's always should be a one-two instead of a half-two. Should want to come to practice. If you have to come to practice, let me know. Maybe it's not for you. You know, it's a one-two. You know, simple as that. But the USA is a different animal a little bit. I mean, it's it's fun to see the level of players. And what's interesting is how much they advance in a week. <laughs> how they change. I mean, they're so good that they change some things in a week that you would not imagine a kid can maybe make that kind of adjustment that quick. But the mental issue is probably, the, like you said before, the mental issue in the game is probably the one that really needs to be worked on more than ever. I mean, when I first started, a mental game was like, you just didn't, didn't talk about it that much. You just went and practiced, but you didn't talk about the mental approach as much. Now it's kind of everything. Wouldn't you agree? And, and yeah. And, and my question is like, because you, you've, you've, with your experience, right, and you've 40 years in the game, 50, as your, your life, what why do you why do you think that is like uh because you know it hadn't been taught i mean see when i started coaching nearly 20 years ago like it wasn't something that was brought up but now we're talking routines now we're talking you know mm-hmm. mindfulness you know sheets has got people laying on the ground and, and there's a movement there you yeah. know like and why do you feel that that is i think when i was coached and i think the coaching back then a lot sometimes was negative psychology produced the positive so it's my way or the highway you know, I listened to Bobby Knight. I think he's a great coach. And I think he did a lot of good things. But if you went to Indiana with Bobby Knight as a basketball coach, you knew that you know what you're getting into. You better know what you're getting into because that's a different dude. And it's my way or the highway. I think over the years, I've found out that if I teach kids how to practice, teach them how to be better, and give them more ownership over their own, their hitting, give them ownership over their pitching, their feeling, like figure it out, like figure it out, like Bush Thompson says, FIO, figure it out. There's a point in time when you're coaching a kid that you just go, look, we've done all this stuff. You got to figure it out on your own and you got to put extra work in or whatever. But I think that's changed some, but I think what I've changed some more is found out I've got more out of kids because I've given them ownership. Like even the 13 U kids, I mean, base running, for example, I tell them this is the only time you're going to look at me. We're going to work on it. This is the only time we're going to look at me. The rest of it's on you. Alfred's going to the gap. Maybe you should go first to third, right? But don't look at me. Because <laughs> it's in front of you, you know, ownership. And you would be surprised um, the more you give them, the more focused they'll be because they have to make the decision. They're not counting on you, like in T ball, you know, station to station. So I think that's been a big change for me. Later on, I gave more ownership and and I got it. And that way, they can't blame you, sort of like, well, you changed me at hitting. I'm not hitting. No. Said so you felt you could hit this way. If you can hit this way, I'm going to leave you alone. It's, the one thing I I think I got better at is that 
when you think you need some help, you come to me and ask me, Hey, what do you think? What do I need to work on hitting? And then we're all in because now he's, he's all in with you versus me, like old school guys would tell you, this is the way you're going to do it no matter what. Well, everybody's an individual and you find that out the more you coach, the more you realize everybody's an individual. Everything's a little different. Stay a little different. You do it a little different for the same thing um, approach, but you're absolutely right. The mental approach of routines produce confidence and everybody has a different routine. I'll give you a great example. I've had some flaky pitchers that in the dugout, you want to kill them because they're so flaky. When they go between the lines, they're the most focused kids you've ever seen in your life pitching. Mm. They will drive you nuts in the dugout. <laughs> but I mean, so what do I do? Like, I mean, it's not bad, bad. It's just stuff that you or I would go, I don't really like that. Yeah. Well, is it damaging to the team? No, it actually keeps everybody loose. And But when the dude goes out on the mound, man, he is all in. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I've had some of the best pitchers I had were like, you met him, you're going, this guy's a little crazy. No, he he, he gets it. He's in, and I don't, sometimes I think maybe early on, I took that out of kids. Like I want to do, I want my team to be disciplined so many seasons, you know, they're all the same, they're little clones and stuff like that. And um, I always thought it should be called standards instead of rules because a standard is more worthy instead of a rule. Rule, sometimes a kid look, well, that's a rule. A standard is more personal standard worth. So then it goes back to them individually, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like that's my standard, you know, like I don't, I don't go past this standard. I'm not going to show up my teammates. I'm not going to pimp somebody on a home run because I don't want to show up for the other team. Just a little stuff like that. So I've learned ownership has been a big deal. It's tough when you, it's tough for coaches to give ownership because you think you're giving something away that you don't have control over, but it comes back. It's actually more beneficial once you really understand it and they trust you and you trust each other. So that's what I've changed probably more than anything else is, relationships ask them what do you think and sometimes we don't ask that question we should just do it what's easy is just say kid do it mm-hmm. what what do you think what do you think should be the standards of our team what do you think what do you how do you think we can win a state championship or have the process of getting there what do you guys think you tell me sometimes the answers are not what you want to hear right and they're not really productive most of them are though if that makes sense. I mean, that's probably the biggest change I've, I've done personally as a coach. Yeah. Is ask, is ask the team, ask the player. Ask the player. Yeah. Cause sometimes we assume his perception is like, he's not concentrated, but he really is. And our perception is like, he doesn't look like he is, but it's like a guy that runs fast. He, he's really running fast, but it doesn't look like he's running fast because he's yeah. just so just flies. But he is from hustling. Yeah, he actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but then like we all ever, I mean, I learned that from like fielding, for example, when we played the Dominican Republic, it, I think, I think an American coach would kill those kids. He would put them into some sort of cage and how to field a ground ball. Now you and I would look at that and go, look how flashy and dash they are. They field everything. Yeah. That's what they do. And then yeah. they feel on fields that are horrible. So they had to make an adjustment. They do a lot of glove work without, you know, they don't, they, they're unconventional. Mm-hmm. But um, but they do it so well. So what do you do? You would you leave him go? Yeah, I'd leave him go. He's mm-hmm. performing. If he's hitting line drives, I'm gonna leave the guy go. My looks ridiculous. I don't like the way he hits, but he hits line drives consistently. Why would I change? Mm-hmm. And you know, some coaches they come in, and I've I've had, and I'm not knocking college coaches, but some of my players have gone to college, and they're really good hitters, and that's why they recruited them. Yeah, they get to college and they change them. 
Mm. And they, they go through a horrible experience because this is the way we do it here. I think that's a huge mistake. Oh, yeah. I do. <clears throat> I think that's changed, though. I don't think college coaches, hitting coaches do that as much because John might be glad they changed too much. Right. But I think that it's hard to sit back and take the time to analyze a kid and go, what's best for him? What are my worries? That kind of stuff. So I think that's changed. I'm sure you've changed that probably too, like that too. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of coaches have. Yeah, to know, sure, to know like how to individualize a certain thing or even just group kids, you know, based mm -hmm. off of their skill set. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I there's some absolutes. And the discipline, how you play the game, do it right. Trash talking is not the program. You can encourage your kids, but you don't want to be, you don't want to, you to be everybody's positive rival, not their negative rival. You want <laughs> them to come in and want to beat you because you're a classy bunch of guys, you know, so. And you have to, and if you don't do that as a coach, they're going to follow you. As you well know, coach, they'll follow our button. I've done everything wrong in 40 years, and I'm smart enough not to repeat it. <laughs> uh, you know, some of my players go, hey, that your body language wasn't very good there. You're right, exactly right. So I can't hold you accountable to something I'm not doing. And you model behavior. So I think that's one good thing I've learned how to do very quickly is model that behavior and then calming, the, calming their nerves down in playoff games. Because I always thought playoffs were fun. Mm. I always got more aggressive in playoffs. So let's go get them. And then, you know, it, it produces, it lessens their anxiety because it's, it's on me, guys. I mean, we're going to hit and run. We're going to steal. Let's go. And so it kind of takes it off their shelf a little bit. And I've always played more aggressive in state playoffs, even more so in the season. Because I was really? thought, oh, yeah. I, and the reason is I always thought if I'm playing aggressive, smart aggressive, not stupid aggressive, but yeah. they're looking at, wow, we're coming at these guys, even though they're probably better than we are. Wow, they're ranked this and they're got a stud on the mound. We're coming at them, coming at them, coming at them. And I would say this is the way you beat this team. I'm not saying that can't be him. This is the way it has to go. So we'll buy in, we'll practice it. And we've done that before. And we've beaten some teams, some really good pitchers, because that's the only way we could beat them. I says, I'm going to be honest with you. This guy's good. <laughs> so if we score two runs, we, we can't let them. We got to score two runs and hold them to less than one, one or zero to win. Mm. I mean, I'm just being honest with you guys. Right. I kind of appreciated that. Yeah. You know, like that was our plan going in. And they kind of followed the plan. So. I think being honest with players is is probably the best thing you can do. Is is you know, they might not like what you want to hear when you evaluate them, but I go, hey, I'm just I care enough to tell you the truth. And sometimes people say, well, that's you're so brutally honest with players. I go, you want me to lie to your kid? Right. <laughs> I mean, is right. that what you want me to do? I'm not going to do that. And kids appreciate it. Parents don't sometimes. Kids do <laughs> most of the time. Mm -hmm. Anyway. You have other questions or? Yeah, man. I mean, I was thinking just, um, just based off of the, all, just based off of that, man. Like, uh, I love that. I think the honesty goes back to your trust part too, because you kind of mentioned with the trust back back then. Being honest is also just building the trust that that what you're you care so much about them that you're going to tell them the truth. Well, again, you're just trying to build trust with all those things, and they're trusting that you are. Um, you know, going to be the model. You talk about modeling um, good behaviors. That's something that's always, um, like I said, that, that that leadership style, you know, of just me being the model, not so much do as I say, not as I do. Um, you know, that's something that's always stuck with you. That's something that, that your dad also passed down to you? He did. I, I'll, I'll give you, this will be a funny story for anybody's listening because this might have happened to all of us. 
I'm 10 years old. I'm pitching in a, you know, in a game and I'm throwing strikes. And the umpire's not calling anything for a strike. And so it's the third inning and I'm getting pretty frustrated. So is the team. And it's like throwing three balls that are strikes and the third one, I mean, should that strike and he called a ball. So we're three and on instead of striking him out. And I didn't really make a scene. I just kind of held my hands. I go, where was that? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I felt somebody by me. It was my dad. I didn't even see him come out. He goes, give me the ball. You're out of here. And so I went to the dugout. And I remember just a few words. He said, calm me. And I never did it again. <laughs> I learned like, you know, that's not in your control. You're, I said, you're showing up your team. This is not, this is selfish. It's going to happen. And I, so I learned. I learned because I hated to not play. But I remember it. I mean, it's some of those coaches sometimes, their players, that moment that you discipline a player sometimes is, or something you say to them, it sticks with them. So you got to be careful with your words. When I was a younger coach, I wasn't as careful as I was as an older coach. Right. That this, and I, that's like, I'll give you an example. I, after games, I don't like to talk to kids very much, maybe a minute, because they want to put their process and they know what happened. I'm always saying on a positive after, but I mean, we're going to take care of it in practice, guys. Hey, let's go clean the field or let's go home or, um, but I think a lot of times your emotions are high, especially with a tough game against Rowe when you lose it. You want to get them out. We didn't play well. We didn't hustle or something like that. You get them out in the outfit, you want to rip them. You want to just tear into them, and that's not productive. I mean, I can do that in practice. When they come the next day, when I'm calmed down, I have a more productive approach to them. But I'm really highly competitive, so they know it. So I got to watch myself at the end when you're really kind of furious with something that happened. So. I've talked with coaches, they've changed that too. Like, and I don't like that post. I mean, they're hungry. Let's be honest, they don't want to hear you. Right. They know. <laughs> they don't. Um, but I mean, you have a lot to say and you have a lot on your mind, but you just process for the next practice and with your other coaches too. So that um I've changed that way too. I mean, those, those are defining moments sometimes. So I don't think coaches understand the influence they have on a kid with what you might say to a kid might really destroy them or boost them up to another level. Mm-hmm. And you learn that in your younger coach, you say some stuff you regret. And I remember when I, I really humiliated a kid after a game early on. I Then I realized that I could see the faces of my players. Like they thought I was really a jerk coach. And so I took that home with me. And the next day I spent five to 10 minutes telling how bad a coach I was and that that's not acceptable to actually do that. I'm very sorry that I did that. That's not going to happen again. Mm. And they really respected that because I own that up and I think we got to own it because if we make mistakes and we own it, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to own it. They're just going to follow us, you know, and we make enough mistakes as coaches. Anyway, you tear yourself up. Oh, what I was really, you know, what am I thinking doing that move or that strategy? What am I doing? And so they need to know that we win, we lose as a group. And, and I'll admit to them sometimes that, in a game, the next day in practice, you go, you know what I did that? That was not a good move. I think they respect you for it because because you're going to hold them accountable too, so you're holding yourself accountable. That's right. And I've always said captains. I had captains we meet every Monday, and um, they tell me maybe kids that won't come up to me and tell them stuff. I just want to make sure nothing gets out of hand from a mental standpoint. The worst positive going into the week. And if somebody needs a pat on the back or a kick in the butt, I know it. And the captain's been really good about that. That's helped us lead. I know, like a lot of captains, two or three is max. 
I do like captains. Some people don't like captains. I do. Mm-hmm. I really do. Seems like you like it from a communication standpoint too. I do. There's value there. Yeah, there's a lot of value there. I think I think there is. Some people don't think so, but I always thought there was. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you like what you would bring them in the morning, bring them before practice. Before practice on just, Monday. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Practice is two twenty. They come in at two ten. There were shorter meetings and they come in. We would talk about the week and talk about the process of. Sometimes they ask me, "Do you think you prepared? Do we prepare enough in practice to be slowing the game down? Do I do that, or do we need to work on something?" Sometimes they really get well. We really need to work on this more because we as a team don't feel real confident. So you work on it. You put it in practice. And I'm real anal about practice schedule. You have practice playing. I'm down to the second. I mean, I'll have something like they laugh at me, but I'll have something like um, two. 05 or 20430, which means 30 seconds is attached to that. I'll put it on a practice schedule and I look at it and go, Coach, what's that mean? I go, that means as long as that's that's as long as it should take, we're doing it well. So when you look at a practice every day, if we go beyond that practice, that's not on me, that's on you. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> and I always start with a quote in practice. And I think that's important just to have somebody verbalize a quote, what they're thinking about in life or in practice or in a game or make things better. Well, I start with a quote because baseball is not my life. I mean, you, you know, I mean, life lessons are baseball humbles you, man. <laughs> so but I love it though. I mean, it makes you a, a humble person because it's going to get you. I think what that Milwaukee Bucks guy said the other day, um, oh, I can't pronounce his last name. He said, uh, see, he said, um, Looking in the past or looking at the day before is all about your ego, which I thought was just a great comment. Like, you know, like if you're looking in the past about how good I am, he says, you know, I'm, I come in here and I play a great game. I score 40 points and 12 boards and whatever. And you're thinking, wow, you really good. He goes, yeah. I said, well, that's past. I'm looking tomorrow because, you know, tomorrow I might suck. Yeah. And I'm going to come in here and you're gonna let me know I suck because <laughs> that's the way sports are. So you can't get ahead of yourself. I thought it was a good comment because he's a great player. That that's yeah. the way it is. And once you learn how to accept that as a player, like it's just not going to be your day every day. But, you know, it could be, you know, you still be a good teammate. You know? Always. 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 Yeah. Always. I just, I like how Coach Lawson says, uh, to fully agree, I think it's the best comment. I think it's just the best compliment that you could have, you know, being a good teammate. You know, he was a good teammate. And treated me right, you know. It's a very big compliment <clears throat> to get. Yeah. On one-on-one interviews, one of the things I asked, one of the questions on the one-on-one interviews they have to fill out and then they come in to me, is uh, what would your te- What two things would your teammates say about you? And it's hilarious sometimes because some of them are like right on, some of them are, I mean, they're really nervous about it. Like well, they want to know what would they say about me and they write down, well, I'm a pretty funny guy, which they are. That's what their teammates would say about them too. But sometimes it's way off base. Like, you know, like I don't think your teammates would say that about you, or, or my teammates might say I'm maybe about myself or something like that. I need to improve on that. So it's kind of an interesting comment what they think their teammate would say about them. Because they said, you can win championships; they're great. But deep down, and you know, it's baseball. 
when kids, I said, when kids come in as freshmen or poem, you're going to have a nickname somewhere along the line. If you go all the way through your senior year, you're going to do something that's going to produce a nickname. It's got to stay with your baseball <laughs> friends for life because oh, yeah. of some stupid you did. <laughs> and it, it's, I mean, it, it really is funny. And, and that's really does happen a lot. As you all know, it's like baseball humbles you enough that you'll do something stupid in practice that everybody will just stop and laugh at, you know, <laughs> it's good to laugh. You know, but it is good. That's what's great about baseball is you're going to expose yourself sometimes. Very vulnerable. <laughs> very vulnerable. Yeah. Not yeah. much, not too more vulnerable than getting up on that mound, not be able to throw a strike. That's pretty vulnerable. Yes, it is. <clears throat> you know, absolutely. Get up in the batter's box. You know, you can't hit if you fell out of whip, you know, just absolutely. Very vulnerable sport. Yeah. Um, uh, coach, so you talked about, you just said, um, can you expand a little bit? You said you, you would interview kids. Is this something you would do at the end? Is there exit meetings or what would you, what do you mean you would interview kids? Um, I give them a sheet. It's about two pages of questions. It's a one-on-one interview. And then, so that's a, that's a pre, that'd be like when they come in the fall, I, I, I do it. And then it's uh it's evaluating strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes as a player, obviously there's stuff about baseball abilities in there. And um, then they, they go through fall and then we do it before tryouts and we do it post-season. We have a, a post-season exit interview like most people do. And so what's interesting about that, as you all know, is that what a kid thinks is strength sometimes is his weakness. What he thinks is his weakness is his strength. I mean, mentally, I mean, sometimes, it, which, which is cool, some kids will say, well, my strength is being a good teammate. And it is. Or my strength is I throw strikes. Well, they don't throw strikes. That's not a strength. And I would say, well, what makes you say that? Because let's be honest, your statistics don't say that. You walk as many guys as you strike out or you walk more. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I didn't really think about it that way. <laughs> so I go, okay. okay. But I mean, it's, it's information you find out about a kid. Like, who are the two best influence? Who are the two people in your life that's influenced you the most at this point in your lifetime? Mm. A lot of them are pretty moving. Like some of them are grandparents, some of them are military people, um, some of them are another player, some of them are not minor major league players. Most of them are parents or, or a friend or an uncle or somebody like that or grandparent. Um, but those are and then why that's a really you find out a little bit more about the kid when they that's what makes them tick. That's what turns them on. That's what motivates them. And it's good to know because you might not have known that at all about them mm. because they're a quiet kid i think sometimes quiet kids get overlooked sure. quiet means they're not not they don't care that's better be careful with that one because that there's a lot of quiet kids out there that can play really well and they really do care they just don't zuber like you know like sometimes the captain just plays well he doesn't say much but it's the way he goes about practice i mean i've had a couple of kids that they've never walked on the field in life from freshman year on when we break in anything they've always run off the field run everywhere I want to do it, but, you know, a lot of kids won't do it, but he did it. I mean, he was a captain four years, played college ball, played pro ball, but, I mean, he never walked on the field, ever. It was amazing. And so, I mean, everybody looking at him, boy, said, you know, I mean, I wouldn't individualize, but kids would talk about that. Like, Matt sure. never watched him. You know, it's that. He never walks on the field. I mean, how many kids really do that? I mean, it's, he just did. He just felt it was a privilege to play, so. Pretty important stuff. Yeah, but that's why I do one-on-ones. We all do probably one-on-ones, but I mean, I can send that information to you. Actually, in that high school, USA High School Manual, mm-hmm. it's out there. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen it. I've, okay. I mean, no, I've heard about it because you, you created that, right? 
Yeah, I did. About 9% of it was, it was creation of just experience. <laughs> when you figure, it was hard to do. I've never written anything like that. Like, that's, I'm sure it took a while. Well, I didn't realize what writers do. I really appreciate them because some days you would sit down, you know, you have these days where things in your head go, wow, I need to do that. You know, you're thinking, you're really going for four hours. And I had spent a week, I couldn't think of what I was doing, trying to write the man. Man, I was, for four hours, I was just rattle off stuff because it just come in your head. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was just over an um I really was passionate about it because I thought, man, I wish I would have had somebody that has much experience and made the mistakes and 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 to read that man, I, I wish I could have read that man when I was starting because it would have headed off a lot of mistakes that I made. Yeah. But I mean, that's how it was more created. It um it was it was fun to do, but it was kind of taxing to do, but I wanted to make sure that it was beneficial to other coaches that would help them. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of good stuff, and I put a lot of time into it. So, but I mean, it was just over experiences. When you have that much experience, you kind of figure things out after a while. Yeah. So and that has a lot of this stuff in it too. But I can send stuff to you, or I can give you some of that one-on-one stuff you want to see it, or send okay. it out to somebody. Yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. You know, as people get started, and I think with anything, and especially if you're running like a not necessarily a four-year program, but you're gonna have fall, you're gonna have summer. You know, you've got a high school program i think there's definitely some value in that you know seeing where you're going to start from where you want to finish you know there's definitely some value in it for sure even just knowing yeah. the person growing the person i think yeah i think the other thing is and we've heard this a lot the process versus results is the only one coaches know the process does produce results but everybody else besides us is result oriented including mm-hmm. kids parents people watching the game well i'm looking for the result and if you're always concentrating on the results you're not going to get there and that's the, when the trust comes and, you know, like when you're working on hitting, it's, it's, you know, this, I mean, it's a process. I mean, like over a period of time, you just, you have your ups and downs, but you feel uncomfortable doing this, but you have to feel comfortable doing the uncomfortable to get past that. And that's where a lot of kids just don't have the patience to maybe do that. They just can't handle the amount of failure before it gets better. And, um, that's why I think in the offseason, when you talk about year-round baseball in the offseason, it allows them time to fix something like mechanic pitching or fixes a feeling thing, fixes a hitting thing. That's all good. I think that's a really good process to do because it gives them time. Like they don't have to play this weekend and make this change and then go for four. Mm-hmm. You know? I think one thing as a coach I did well is that um, if I made a change during the season, say I'll give you an example as a hitter. And you know, you really do make this change. I go, I know, and I said, if you strike out four times, you're still in the lineup. Do you understand that? So don't. If I mean, I, he has to trust me. I know parents are going to be upset because their kids should play in front of this kid. But I said, this is going to be good. You got to trust me. We're going to go with this for a while. So it might not. It could be good right away. It might not be good, or it might be in between. But you're not coming out. Mm. Do you understand? And so that's. When you do that and you follow through it, that the trust factor, not just with that kid, it's everybody else goes, you see that? You see, coach, coach is good with his word. Now, if I had to take him out after four strikeouts or something, they, they don't go, wow, I'm not going to listen to him. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to well, do that. So, so would, you, would you do that, uh, I guess, at the moment? Were you doing that because of the kid? Maybe that's what the kid needed? Or is that just really what you want to see, like, how to see, to see how the team reacts in the situation? I think what I think more it's about the kid that was maybe having trouble hitting mm-hmm. and I can see it's not getting better, but he's, he's a good player and I know it's going to get better. So I think it was 
or about the kid. I mean, I mean, the process of somebody looking at that as another teammate going, well, coach is really good about making it. I'm going to have to make a change during the season. He's, he's still going to play me because he's up front with me. So I, I did it for the kid because the kid was just, he just went through a rough stretch. And then, then it turned out one, I mean, this particular one turned out really good for him, but he went through a, a week where it was just such an adjustment. And then after that, it, it went good, which is good for us, right? Good yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, but it's tough making that kind of rash, but he was all in though. But see, that's the difference. I, I, I need extra help. So you go over and you do extra help and you produce that and you're all in with the kid and he's all in. He has to put the pressure on himself because he, he knows he's still going to play, but he knows that he's really, and if he's really working on it, you know, um, I'm going to give him some grace with that one because he's working on, it. he's trying to be better and he knows it. So he's coming to me first. So the trust is already right there. He's, he's willing to do anything it takes. That's what you have to read is willing to put in the time. I always thought if you're playing a team sport, you should always do extra stuff because of your team and too. Mm. It's, a, it's a commitment. If you're playing, I think you ought to put in extra time to be a better player for your team. Now, if you're a golfer, you just want to play golf, and then that's mostly you, but you're playing for a team. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. maybe a little different there later on. It's about you. If you don't play well, you don't eat. <laughs> you know, simple that's simple Yeah. But, mm. If you're playing a team sport, you always put in the extra time for your teammates. That's awesome. I think so. Yeah, that's yeah, to the core so. right there. It's a principle right there to the core team, team first, man. It's awesome. It's a great that's way to put say. it. Yeah, that's why we always say we say team first. We don't break with our mascot's name. We always say team first because that one. That's how we always break. Let's go team first. Mm-hmm. And I always put, I always point out something that like, like a pinch runner that does something fantastic and he might not have been the star of the game but he just made a difference in the game because of he scored a run because he went the extra base and he was hustling i make more of a point of that than the guy who went three for three because everybody knows the guy who went three for three was at four rbis mm-hmm. i'm going to mention that but i'm going to really emphasize this guy came off the bench in the seventh inning was a pinch runner and scored the winning run and this is why he did it because he's always focused on being a good teammate I think that's the one thing you have to do too is kids. If you're going to keep a kid, he's got to have a role. That role needs to be able to, he needs to know it can expand to, or it can diminish, but he needs to have a role on your team. He needs to feel he's contributing. So if he's really fast, he does that well, good defender. He can play him in the outfield later in the game, pinch running where he designated running. And, and you know, that, that having a great base runner is huge in one run games, huge. And kids don't understand the importance of base running. They just don't get things well. I'm a hitter. I get on. That's what I do. I just run the bases, but it's not important. It's important. <laughs> it's really important. But you have to emphasize the coach. Really important. You got to work on it. I work mm-hmm. on it. I work on base running early in the practice because I want to focus because I want to know it's a priority. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't work on it at the end. I just don't because, oh, well, that's the last thing we're doing is base running. So they're tired. They don't want to do it. I work base running first. Yeah. After we get warmed up. Oh, I'd like to dive in a little practice. You kind of you've brought practice up, I think, three times now. Let's, let's dive in a little bit of that. So, you start with a quote. You start with a quote. You talk basically, kind of get everybody headspace, seeing you know what about what it kind of means to everybody in their life, and then sounds like you maybe do a little bit of stretching and then roll right into base running. Yeah, what we'll do is we'll we'll have a quote, then we'll do a practice intent. This is the way practice. This is why we're practicing. That's what we're doing in practice. 
We'll do that. It's not, doesn't take long. And then um, we'll go into a dynamic stretch. That's about eight minutes. We'll do steals and base running off of that. Um, depending on the day, we might do it on, on a particular base or we might do it off pitchers. We'll do that. And then we'll go do our, our well, we usually, well, with the club kids, when they come out, make them do the band work. But in high school, we do dynamic stretch, band work. So before we would actually throw, we do dynamic stretch steals for base running, band work. So they're really juiced. I mean, they're mm-hmm. really ready to throw. So that might be 15, 20, maybe even 25 minutes into practice before we throw, but we're not just going to throw. And here's the one thing that I really, truly believe in, and I think coaches need to try to probably improve on. I know I had to. Um, is, is being out there when it's having a great throwing program. Because if you can't throw, you can't play. And, you know, like, the thing about this one, if, if you play catch for seven innings, like, catch a thrown ball for seven innings. You don't – you catch not not a hit ball. I mean, you might miss a hit ball, but if you catch every thrown ball in seven innings, try that statistics in your, one of your games sometimes if it ever happens. If your team can catch a thrown ball for seven innings, it's probably going to be good. Oh, yeah. But it hardly ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't think about it. So I think throwing is the, probably the most important drill we do, the way we do our throwing. And it's, it's position-wise. So, I mean, and you have to be out there. I know I was a single coach for a while. I'm always out there. I'm anal about it. I get on about it. Because if you can't throw, if you can't throw a target, how are you going to play? I mean, I, t- I always tell the kids, my 13-year-olds, freshman practice, first practice and trial, I'll go down there. I have a list of names because I know most of the kids anyway. And there might be 30 kids down there throwing. After they get done throwing, I'll go back to the varsity practice. I'll put down 18 of the best warm-up guys, 18 of the guys that seem to want to throw and do it seriously. I'll put it in an envelope. I'll put it in my locker. And then when I go to release kids or keep my team, I, I don't even look at it. I just go keep the team. Then I open it up. I'm telling you this. It's a fact. 90 to 95% of the kids that I wrote down that, were, that took throwing seriously made the team every year, mm. every year. It was fun to do. I mean, it really, and then, I mean, that's Thanks. just how important I think it is because you can do a lot of throwing drills and all kinds of stuff in the outfield. So, and you can take them in the infield too. Sometimes we'll just throw the ball around the infield and we'll do some drills in the infield. We'll finish throwing that way too. Um, but I think once you emphasize that and you're out there as a coach, your throwing years will go down because it's important. And your technique of teaching it. If you go out and say, "We'll go warm up, guys," they're going to say, "Well, that's bottom of the list in practice." Yep. Well, it, it, you know as well as I do, throwing years are something that can lose ball games for it. Or hey, win. It is. It is very funny that if there's one part of our practice where the coaches are not really there. It's really in the throwing program. You know, and because they're, they're, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's, you're doing other things, you know, high school schedule, you got to practice at 220 or sometimes four. Yeah. If you don't have coaches that are there, you're trying to do it all. But yeah, That's I mean, true. I think you, you prioritize what's important to you. And if you're important to you, you're going to be there. Um, well, know, I think if you're the only coach, which I am sometimes, even in high school, I was the only coach there because my coach come off campus is I'm out there. Yeah. I'm physically out there. Right. I'm not doing anything else. I'm physically out there and they know it. So I'm going to get on them, go. Seriously, that's the way you're going to follow through. No wonder your arm hurts. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that's that's on me. 
I think that's a responsibility I have is to make sure that they know how to warm up and throw and throw to target, especially mentally. Sometimes we'll go, sometimes we'll go stealth. If you ever done this, I learned this from Mark Harden and Iowa Western community college, great coach. He said he's going stealth usually does it twice in that season with college guys. Stealth means that they can't say a word in the whole practice, except they're doing communication drills, but they can't say a word when they're warming up. I can tell you, you can't do it every day, but when you do that, you won't believe how good you warm up this. Mm, Cause you're not talking about trucks, girls, where to eat, all that kind of stuff the kids talk about. But, I mean, if you go stealth, I just call it stealth. Like you cannot talk. And if you talk, you're going to go corner to corner. Right. You're going to run. And that that clicks in the boy coaching system pretty important. Or not talk. And your throwing is so much better. Because I always, they have to get a target. I always have the target. Play middle of the chest, glove side. Try to hit that all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, that's, I'm pretty anal about you because you can tell. <laughs> that's good though. That's the, that's the details yeah. of it. You know, that's a difference. That's a difference. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, that's like what I would say is like, like with people sharing, I think that's why baseball coaches and just for me in general, like I'll share anything you want. Cause that's the difference is I'm going to go out there when like, yeah, you can have my practice plan you want, but if you're not out there making cold kids accountable and doing those kind of things and just being able to have a relationship to kind of build that trust to get on them, it don't matter. You know, you, you're right. you can have all that plan you want. I'll give you all my drills, but if you're not going to take the time to go out there and walk around and this and that, or have, be able to talk to a kid, holding them accountable, uh, it doesn't matter. You know, like, you're it's, right, you're right. you know, like it's, you're going it, to, it'll be, it's better than nothing, but it's not going to be the same, you know, yeah. like the way that, you know, like, cause man, like Chuck bot, like Chuck, Chuck is out everything, you know, but like, you know, I mean, he will consistently show up and he will have the consistent approach. He'll be organized, but he is able to also be out there, you know, just like sure. you are, you know, you're going to, you know, what's important and there's nothing like having the coach stand out there. No, there isn't. I mean, I'm there as a player, man. You're looking, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> where is he? You know, but I also like it for the fact of, and, and Sheets does a great job of this and I, he, he probably liked a lot of it, but you go out there and just say, Hey man, how you doing? How you doing today? Oh, yeah. You know, and just be able to have a conversation, just walk up the line, walk down the line. And we're mm-hmm. having, and we're still yeah. doing the routine. And we're, but at the same time, sometimes it might be like, man, how was life today? You know, like what it's just to kind of help build the relationship and things like that. I think you said building the trust, you know, that that's cake. so true. I mean, I never ask them baseball questions. I might get on about a throw, but if I'm coming, if I'm going up and down because I learned to do that a lot better. That's one thing I learned to do a lot better. So I'd ask them different stuff. There. And it, it does. You're exactly right. Builds a trust, like how you, you know, how's your mom doing? Is she she was sick or something? I mean, so you know that kind of stuff. Or uh, hey, I saw your sister had a good day in South Park. I mean, you know that coach, yeah, I do. Know that. Mm-hmm. Just little stuff like that, I think, makes a difference. I mean, it's personal. It's, it's personal in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've heard got college kids come back. I know my college coach, but I said he never asked me anything about except baseball, and I said, you know, it kind of turned me off. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I just a baseball player for you? I mean, I'm not knocking college coach, but sometimes it doesn't matter. I mean, shoot in the major leagues, I'm sure it doesn't matter. You're a good manager, is why they have great communication. Uh, okay. They know their players. I mean, they you can manage 25 guys <laughs> for making that kind of money. You, if you manage them well, you're probably going to have a pretty good clubhouse. If you lose them, if you lose a clubhouse, you've lost your team. Mm. And I think that's all about communication. It doesn't change when they're older. I mean, it's a little different. I mean, they're professionals, obviously, but 
Then you know the, the skip guy cares about him. You're just not a number. You're just not a victory or a win or a hitter. Yeah, I I like doing that. I should have done a better job with that when I was younger. I used to know how to. All lessons learned. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, after – so, let's think about the second half. Because I'm sure – does it change much or is it mostly the skeleton? So, after you've done your throwing program, where do you like to go from there? Does it depend on the day? Uh, Individual individual specialties with defense. Yep. So, we'll go – like a lot of people do, outfield, middle infield, corners. It depends on how many coaches I have there. Yeah. Um, it just depends on that. But if my coaches can come until later, I'll do. I'll put team defense before the individual. I don't like to do it that way, but I will because I can do team defense by myself. Right. Not as well as I could with another coach. But so I mean, I think that's the nuts and bolts. I like. I think you really emphasize on uh, on the team defense. Um, I don't do it real long because I want every rep a quality rep. I don't like going through the motions. I like giving them stuff to do, ground balls. Um, I like doing different stuff. And I, we do a lot of half fungos where we do half field fungos so we can, and we make them fungo, which is good for them to hit. They think fungo is easy until you put a bat in their hand. It's always, really a, it's always a good laugh too. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's more productive where it's you as a single coach to go around and watch four groups field ground balls, you know, and uh, we always do different things. Sometimes we get rid of it quick. Sometimes we have a ball in the hand and they just glove it, just a, ball, a baseball in the hand. So they get get out in front a little bit more, all kinds of, you can do all kinds of stuff with, uh, or count the hops, try to stay away from the in-between hop. How are you going to do that with your feet and just let them go. But that they have a focus for two minutes. This is what they're doing the next two minutes or next minute they're doing this. And, um, I like to speed it up. I like I like them to get them. I always like them to do their footwork. No matter when they feel the ground ball, they're always doing the footwork to throw. It could be a double play footwork. It could be the home. could be the first. You can do all kinds of footwork. You don't have to throw it, but do your footwork and do it quickly with under control. So I don't think you just feel the ground ball because that's just part of it. Feeling the ground ball and throwing it and getting it accurate is the complete package of an infielder or outfielder. So I think footwork can always be done without throwing a ball, but it's just good habit. I don't like them just feel the ball and just feel the ball. I mean, I don't think that's productive. And it's productive with their hands, maybe their feet. But what do they have to do? They always have to do something afterwards. So why don't you put it in? You don't have to throw it. But um, I think that's really important to do when you're in field or individual work. I really do. Mm-hmm. Because then it just becomes habit because your feet make bad throws, in my opinion. They're just not where they're supposed to be. And good footwork is paramount to being a good player, good infielder. Then after that, we go team. Team de- defense will predicate on early in the season we'll work on everything, but maybe in the season we're not doing relays well. We're not communicating well. And um, so we might do more of an outfield team defense where we're doing relays. And we're doing um, relays with live base runners. A lot of times our JV team would be up and they would run. And I would tell them to like run until they, I mean, it's hilarious, but run until they get you out. Then you can work on rundowns. So I would give them all okay. kinds of stuff to do. I try to speed the game up on them. And um, it's, I mean, when you have base runners and sometimes just in the outfield, it makes a difference because it's more game-like. Now, if you're really working, they're not doing things well, then I don't have runners because they're, they're just not, they just need to concentrate on throwing at a relay or one hop, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but if we're, if 
I think you practice. My big thing on practice plan is what happens in the game the most often. What happens in the game the most often is what we should work on most often. If that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. I mean, like I don't work on catcher pop-ups every day because it doesn't happen that often. We will work on it. I work on first and third every day. I work on bunt defense every day. But I do work on stuff that happens, you know, double plays a lot of times. You want to be pretty good on a double play. So you work on that because that's a big thing. You get two outs and one one pitch. That's huge. Or relays to outfielders. Those guys making their cuts. And that's important because you you overthrow a bit, you overthrow a relay guy it might be an extra run. And and we I do this so I've done speeches at conferences uh, how to practice to win the run run to win the one run ball game and they laugh at it. Well, the first thing I do is how we practice like the throwing segment of it, like we just talked about. Yeah, you know they're work, they're thinking about doing situation stuff. I've been no, I said the throwing program is first and foremost on winning run run ball games, <laughs> and then I go to base running. I go base running again. You play thirty five games, you win five of those, you lose five of them because of base running. Watch the major leagues sometimes they're not very good at it either. Mm-hmm. I know in your program, but when freshmen come in, it's the worst thing ever. They have no idea how to run bases. That's what I'm trying to teach these young kids. You're on your own until I have to be your eyes. And there's not many times I'm just your stop sign. Mm-hmm. If you start that at a young age, you'll be amazed at how good they get after it. And they don't hesitate. And I don't criticize when they get thrown out by a good throw. I just don't because I'm going to send them anyway. Now they get thrown out five times by 40 feet. That's an issue, but the way we do that, just so you know, in practice, we'll do this. And I, I did this with the USA team. And they don't think they'd ever done this before because but we put live base running on. And um, this is for base runners. I would hit, this is more of a base running drill than anything. Of the outfielders out there, I would hit balls. And I'll give you an example. Say you're on, on second base. And, um, and this is for the outfielder too. Ball is a line driver, ground ball down the left field line. You're on second base. Where you're going to score on that. Mm-hmm. The runner should go to second base because he's going to try to go to second base no matter what. We're going to force the issue. Since it's a ground ball or a line drive, the guy at second base is going to take off right away. He doesn't hesitate. So he's going to score every time. Mm-hmm. We want to keep the double play intact. So we're going to immediately take that ball and throw it to second. So we'll work on that. You know, this is a time where you might down the line, might have a play at home. Soft fly ball. It might be it might be catchable down the line because of where you're playing. The guy on second base, what's he have to do? Well, he has to wait. So that's a ball down the line. You understand that we are going to throw and hit the relay guy and make sure the guy make sure we go through. Make sure we we keep first and third. Third. So I mean, but you have to physically do that. I didn't yeah. used to do that. And then I was, I was trying to hold my towel for I'm going, what are you doing? And once I started doing that with the USA guys, they actually liked it. They go, that makes sense. Or, I mean, I would hit them in the gaps. I mean, when you're a base runner, look where they're playing. If that ball goes there on a line and you know it's, I mean, you should be taken off right away. You should know that. I expect 13-year-old to know that. I do. Mm-hmm. That's a high school kid. But if that left fielder has to go to the gap and then try to throw third, he's going away from third base. Now, if the center fielders come in and he's going towards third base, it might be a little different. But I actually hit balls in those areas. That's why that's how I teach base running. Now, now, now it's more game like now. Now they're on their own reading it, and I don't coach it at all. I don't base coach it at all. They have to read it. I should have done that a long time ago because our base running really improved. 
Oh, sure. So, so instead of like the traditionalist taking the first, taking a second, taking the third, you're going to have them all at second or have them first have at home. And you'll have the outfits out there and you're just hitting fungos. And this is how we're, mm-hmm. this is how we're running the bases. Yeah. We have two outs, one out, no outs, you know, less than two outs. You're just saying that um, that's how we're going to run the base. We might go bases loaded and the ball goes, now where are you going to go with it? Or, I mean, you can put all kinds of situations you want in. Oh, we don't do it the whole package in one day. We'll take sure. runners in second base, one second. Maybe the next day we'll go at first base and run first or third with the base with the guy home plate running when I hit it. And that really it, it helps. I'm telling you, I can't expect them to make that decision unless I put them in that situation. There you go. I can't do drive drills with them. Go ahead and go. I can't do that. You know, what I mean, like I, I like their head on the swivel a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but that's improved our base running a ton. And we run the bases pretty well. That's one thing we really did a good job because I told them this is important. <laughs> Get it? It's important. And once they bought into that, I said I want to be the best base running team in Arizona. That's that's a goal I have this year. And I would have like three or four emphasis each year on we want to be the best at this. That we were really locked into defense and pitchers working fast and throwing a lot of strikes in this play defense. And that, that helped us a lot, but we worked on it a lot because uh, mm-hmm. they knew it was important. We're going to hit that. I mean, that you got to hit, but I'm mean, just saying, and you'll see in a lot of games, you can do those things. And kids will find time to hit too. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're going to find that time. They might not find time to get a couple of fungos or run the bases, but they're going to no, find time to hit. They're not going to run the bases. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not going to run the bases. <clears throat> oh yeah. So, Hey, you see two things. So you got the throwing program and base running. What are the, what are your other keys to winning the run run game? Um, situational baseball and speeding the game up. I mean, putting game guys in scoring position. Another thing is, if you have time, you have to take time for your relief pitchers. Sometimes we'll go, especially early in the season, or if they have not pitched, and maybe guys haven't pinched yet or something like that. We'll do this in practice. We'll put runners in second and third, one out. I bring a relief pitcher in, and he's pitching. This is a lot. This is go after it. See if we can get – I mean, this is live stuff. It's just like a game. Yeah. It takes a little time, but what it does is your mindset changes right away. It's not like BP, oh, yeah, we got to do it. No, it's stopping the other team. You might put something on it too, something. But uh, we'll do that. But a lot of – I think a lot of – I know coaches maybe don't like to do this, but a lot of coach pitch situations or situational baseball where it's all out and you expect them to go out because you want to make your teammate better. I don't think we do enough of it, but – we won't do it like 40 minutes a day. We might take all right first and third. We're not doing this very well. So we're going to put first and third out there for 10 minutes, maybe 15 max. Cause after 15, I get angry if we're not doing well. So I just <laughs> stop it. But um, I mean, when I say 10, I think the one thing in practice, and I think most coaches do this now, 10 minutes in a drill. And like, you can expect them to be all out here in their head. Yeah. You better be, you're not going to play. I mean, I want this full out. I want, I mean, I'm on them. I'm on them more then than I would be in a game because games to me, coaches, practices for coaches, games are for kids, games for players. If I do my job, I should sit in the sand and watch them do it. If I do my job. Mm-hmm. But so I'm really more intense on them out of character almost to put so much pressure on them in that situation. Like, how can I play you if you're going to do that? I can't. Mm-hmm. So get it done. And I would say, not in a yelling voice, like, how can I play you when you can't do this in practice? This is going to happen in a game tomorrow. We got to be ready for it, right? Yeah. Yeah, coach. Well, then do it. 
And they would say, why don't, I said, why don't you do that? I don't know. I says, would you like this answer? Why aren't I playing? I say, I don't know. Would you like that? Right. You wouldn't like that, would you? I don't like it. You don't like it? I don't like it. So let's be more communicative there. <laughs> I don't raise my voice. I just, I'm just nonchalantly like, hey, I can't play. I learned a long time ago, playing time is huge, as you well know. You can run, you could run me a marathon as long as I'm playing that. So I don't care. Yeah. If you take me out of the game for, out of out of the game because I didn't practice well, that sends a message. Mm. And I've done it before. I take my best player out of practice. He practice started. He didn't play the next day. I said, I don't care. We we win or lose. I mean, our chance of losing are greater because he's not in there. But you know, I don't care. Well, you you take your best player out. That sends a huge message to kids. I've done it. All of a sudden, you don't have that problem the rest of the season because you know you my coach just took him out. Oh my gosh. And you hope you win the game without him too. That's right. Let's <laughs> so, right. hope so. That will but, be a great uh, message. But uh, but um, purposeful bullpens. We'll do competitive bullpens. If the kid thinks he's better than the other kid. We'll go. We'll we'll do competitive bullpens. I'll call the pitch and they'll have to throw it. But sometimes you play a version of pitch, P-I-T-C-H. Mm-hmm. And it's like a vision of horse. Yeah. Uh, but every bullpen is scripted. Oh, you can scripted. You do. Yep. Every one of them. Let, that's one thing I don't let them do on their own. And then, uh, I mean, I'll script it. But, I mean, I give them – the one thing I, I should have done earlier, but I give them permission to get hit. Because if you keep this statistic, it's an interesting one. How many times in a season does a team get three hits in, a, in one inning against you? Just three hits in an inning. It's, unless your pitching is really bad. It's not very much. You mm-hmm. might get a walk or here and there, but – and walks are the biggest statistic for me. So when you're talking about winning one of them ball games, I don't want any free free rides. Uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna get beat, he's gonna beat you with the barrel, and that's on me. And they know it, and I'll follow through with that. Now if they're getting blasted, they're just having a bad day. I'm gonna take them out. But for the most part, one thing I think it helps win one of them ball games is pace of the game. So. Our kids have to throw in 12 seconds or less, and that's the guys are on base. They're picking off. So they get the ball back. They take a breath. They take their sign. They're ready to go. And I think two things happens. The pace of the game for your defense is good. Plus, if you have those thinking pitchers, <laughs> it doesn't give them time to think. <laughs> right. Just throw it. <laughs> Just throw it. <laughs> I, I always try to get them four and out. Because if you can get them four and out, I'm really happy with you. Because if the more pitches they see from you, the more chance they have of hitting you and getting a read on you. So then practice um, to win run on bargains and we'll, pe- we'll put people on third base. And um, one thing we will do is we'll play six and seven. We'll play six outs. Like the other team is up or we're up two runs for the visiting team. We have six outs to get and we play it hard. I mean, it's coach pitch. Sometimes, sometimes it's actually pitch. Pitchers are throwing. I know sometimes it takes a little time to, you got to put them in that environment and practice to see who will react. And then a lot of times whenever JD play against our varsity and that, some JD guys think they're better than varsity guys, but they're not. So you put them in that situation, you realize they're not ready. And they realize, ooh, pace of the game from JV to varsity is huge. Mm-hmm. It's a lot faster game, which it is, as you know. So we'll put a lot of that stuff in. It doesn't take long, maybe 10 to 15 minutes and that kind of thing, but it's worth it. Because I think batting practice is overrated sometimes. I mean, on field, and we don't have to take an hour and a half. When you think how we lose ball games, we lose them because of mentally we're not making the right throw or the situation, or because we're not hitting. And 
And we script, obviously everybody scripts their batting practice, but we do a lot of situational hitting too. We do a lot of our work in the tunnel and they come out on the field. We don't say a word to them as hitting coaches on the field and solve them. We don't say a doggone word. They hit in the turtle, the tunnel. The tunnel tunnel's our school. We are in our school, but once they get out there, they're on their own. They got to figure it out. But uh, we'll do a lot of situational hitting. I'm very aggressive. I'm, I hit and run more than probably most people do because I think it produces some excitement and produces a uh, movement. We fake steal every once in a while in certain situations where people move, do a lot of that. That helps you win running volumes because it takes you out. We want to stay championship that way. We're fake stealing, hit and running the whole game. We had probably four double play balls that game. None of them were all over bases. We scored three runs on them just mm. because we were either fake stealing or hit and running. Because I knew these kids are up. We're not going to, they were slow. He had a ground ball. He has a double play. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you got to know your personnel, but, um, but that helps you win run run ball games. But I think the emphasis on pace, pitching, good defense, base running. I mean, doing everything in practice with, you know, where's you out as a coach? I mean, emotionally, they're going to feed off your enthusiasm because if they think you're coasting. They're going to coast, but I don't coast. So mm-hmm. they know I'm on them. So, um, but that helps the intensity of the practice. I remember Mark Marquis, some of the players who played for him in Stanford said, they couldn't wait to get to a game. They couldn't wait because practice was just so unbearably stressful and challenging. When they got to a game, everything kind of slowed down and going, because, you know, you know, that's something to be said. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it's hard to make a practice game like that you can, sometimes you measure it. I mean, in batting practice, sometimes we would do this. I did this in one game. I go, so frustrated with the hitters because they wouldn't take it seriously. I go, we have a hard hit. We're going to rounds of five, hard hit balls. I'm going to put a point down. Just hard hit balls. Mm-hmm. And the best nine guys are going to play tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Best nine. And I'm going to do it, guys. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if you're the best hitter on the team. If you want to take it off, you're going to take it off. And I did. And the best nine hitters played. And some of them weren't starters, but we won the game, which was good. And, um, and a couple of those guys actually ended up starting because they just went off. It's hard to take it out when four 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 line drives. That's right. So now practice means something. Mm. I mean, they think it's harsh, but I mean, I'm trying to help them be the best they can be mentally, like you talked about. So it's tough in a baseball practice to keep it wrong like that. Because, you know, I mean, it's just tough. But sometimes you stop it and you go, hey, is this how we're going to win a game? Or is this how we're going to lose a game? You tell me. Is, is this practice going to help us win a game? Or is it going to help us lose a game? They're going to go, it's going to help us lose a game. Why are we practicing like this? I just put a break back on them. I don't yell at them. I just said, why are we practicing like this? You know, so that helps you win one of them ball games because you're intense in practice. I just, I just think it does. And you put them in situations where they'll make that play. I need you to, I need to know that you can make that play in a game before I play you there. Do you understand that? Okay, coach. So if you don't make it in, in the two weeks, I'm not going to play. Not in that situation. Mm. Okay, fair. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I mean I try to give that's going back to ownership trying to give them hey I'm accountable no excuses I don't like excuses no excuses I'm practicing hard enough you make this play like ever for example like when this happens relief pitcher comes in you get our top four hitters out you know what that's going to tell me that I can put you in baby so if you go do this today guess what your stock just went up so go do it and sometimes when they do it yep the first reliever in you know, and then you're 
showing that practice matters. Well, yeah, you know how practice can be. We've all had bad ones. It yep. drives you crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that's, if you're asking the question how to win that, I think those types of things are important. Yeah. Just mm. speeding it up and, and following through with what you're saying. But, you know, it's not a threat. It's just what it is. We, we're trying to win ball games, guys. Mm-hmm. We got to do this in practice before. You can't just turn it on and off. It's not going to happen. So hopefully that answered the question a little bit. Oh, more than more than more than enough. Yeah, answered it. Uh, exceeded expectations. That's for sure. It was amazing. Um, wow, just roll. My, I guess another thing is like situationally. Do you talk, you, talk, you talk about situational baseball? Like, um, are those situations? You know, like I'm thinking of just managing the game. You know, when as a coach, you got to learn how to manage a game and um how did you put those things in practice how would you be able to grow your game management your game management skills okay that's a good question i mean i'll give you a couple examples like um first of all i call base running our special teams of football okay you name it the special teams of football the bunt the short game and the and the base running game is just special teams because you know special teams of football win and lose ball games you know that yeah yeah i know that but uh, i'll give you an example of what you're talking about We'll go first and third. A lot of times this is coach pitch, but it doesn't always have to be. First and third, one out. We put in every possible way you can score, and we do it for live. I mean, we have a live defense, live offense, first and third. We'll safety, we'll push, we'll drag, we'll, um, we'll suicide, we'll hit and run, we'll fake punt slash. We'll do all that stuff um, just to let them know that or we'll delay steal. And it's all live, all the ways you can score first and third. I know a lot of people don't like to bunt, but we sometimes we face a guy just shutting it down and throw it in high sure. school. I mean, he's 90, just absolutely lighting this up. And I've got the bottom of the order up and I got a slow guy batting. And if he hits the ground balls too and we're out of the inning, so we haven't got a guy third all day. So it's first and third, but he's a good bunter because we do work on bunting. So we'll safety squeeze mm. and um, or we'll hit and run. Mm-hmm. Or fake on slash, and some guys really like fake on slash because their swing gets shorter. They don't even know it. Um, but just to produce action, just to try to score. Um, so that's one way we actually do that. Um, and then a lot of times, as everybody does this, but uh, we'll play like in batting practice. Sometimes our last round is just a game winning round where infield's in just to show them that outfield's going to play regular. And that's the other thing I teach is I don't like. I don't like a lot of guys standing in the outfield. I'd rather have left fielder, center fielder, right fielder. And then if you're the guy, just go behind them. So we just see that because if we're live base running in practice, they see the outfielders go. They don't want to see a bunch of guys, six guys out there because they can't make a read, right? Mm-hmm. So with the USA team, I said, pitchers, I know you think you're all great in outfields. You're going to be in the warning track the whole time. Just stand back there and not get in our way because I don't want one of our outfielders to run into you and you both be injured now probably going to be fired. So, so that, that's important that the, when you're doing that is that the outfitters are by themselves and sometimes we'll play in, sometimes we'll play gaps. Sometimes we'll play all over. Sometimes we'll play invert. Like Bush says, Chavin said, he puts his center fielder short, his left and right fielder deeper. And then has all those short little gap things. It's pretty interesting how he does it, but um, that stuff we'll do live. Um, to create havoc 
I mean, I think you really got to put pressure on people, especially if you, sometimes you just don't have a very good hitting team. Yeah. But you have to produce some sort of scoring. <laughs> so you take what's going to be, you have to look at this, whether you like to admit or not, what's our strength in the seven through nine? Guys get up, how can we score them? What's going to be their strength as far as hitting? That's the run. Can we bunt them in? How do we get them on? Do we drive? I don't like to sack bunt very much because I don't like to give up the run, but sometimes it's appropriate to do. But I think you have to put all this, how can I score with the team that I have, offense I have? So when this happens in a game, they've already processed that in, in a combating practice. We've already been in a situation like, this is me. You're not going to hit the ball out. You're just not that guy. But you can hit a fly ball, sack fly, and you get in there, and that's good. Because guys don't think, like, I can feel back. Okay? I can feel back, guys, on third one out. And he had a ground ball short, so they thrown out first. The kid's oh, depressed. Coming back from the dugout, like I didn't get a hit. He had an RBI. Right. That's the same thing. That's being selfish. That's a good at bat. Mm-hmm. It's better than popping up to the shortstop. Do you get that? <laughs> Striking out. Oh, yeah. But they don't, they have their batting average calculated by the time they get to first, which I think batting average is ridiculously overrated, as you know. Get on base. <laughs> so we can score you. Help That's your team. I think the, the quality of bat needs to be taught a little bit more, like really emphasized and complimented on what a quality of bat was. I said, do you realize if it's, you get an 0-2 count with the bases loaded and you work a walk, do you realize how devastating that is to that team? It's probably yeah. more devastating than a base hit. And that's the other thing, a two-strike approach we've changed over the time is that talked to a lot of guys that are good hitters at two strike go, what makes you a good hitter at two strikes? And here's what they all said. It's pretty amazing. Is that the same thing? I'm more mentally aggressive. I just it's, it's nothing else I've changed. I don't get close to the plate. I don't change my swing. I just get more mentally aggressive. He's not going to beat me. He said, and they also said that's they embrace two strikes. They think it's fun. They think it's oh I've had kids go two strikes, go, oh my gosh, I'm gonna strike out again. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna try to just wave at the ball, protect myself and just make contact. We don't feel that we don't have that mental approach. I don't want that mental approach. Mm-hmm. You want to show a couple you're closer and that makes you better. I'm gonna let you do it. Okay. But I want you to be mentally aggressive, get after it, embrace it, follow it off, follow up, make him work. It's you and him. And I think that that mental approach with two strikes is is really a good one if you can get kids to actually buy into it. Sure. And I think it goes back to too, like you th- what you said earlier about practicing the things that happen the most. Yes. I mean, Getting hitting with two strikes happens pretty frequently. Didn't they say in the major leagues that fifty three percent of the guys have two strikes home every? In major yeah, leagues? I think it's close to fifty percent. Well, nearly fifty yeah. percent of your at bats are going to be the two strikes. Yeah. So I mean, that's something you got to practice. That's the other thing you said about hitting it. One thing I, I didn't do a very good job of. Now I'm doing better. Is pitch recognition. Hmm. Like, how do you practice that? I've asked several guys just how you practice. You go to the bullpen, take pitches, but. One thing I think is important when you even throw BP, I don't throw all strikes in BP because I wanted to swing it. Good hitters swing strikes, bad hitters swing balls. I said, even when they hit it, where was that pitch? Well, sometimes they don't even know. Or they take a pitch and it was a strike. They go, where was it? I was, I was low and it's outside. No, it wasn't. How far outside do you think it was? Oh, a few inches. No, it wasn't. So it's giving you information. Maybe they don't see the ball outside. Maybe they need to move in if they grab the play a little bit. But Sometimes during during batting practice, it makes it more accountable. Just you don't have to do it every time, but like if they hit a line drive, where was that? Where was that pitch? They should know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. um, and you and here's what drives me crazy in batting practices: they swing and they get mad at themselves. 
when they don't hit a ball. Well, the ball is like six inches off the plate or it's six inches high. You, what you swing, your swing's not bad. It's what you're swinging at, mm. you know? I mean, be more productive. And the other thing is I tell them, if you think in your career as a hitter, how many, what percentage of baseball pitches did you take? It's probably at least half, right? Probably. Yeah. So here's my pet peeve, if there is one. And I really hate this. When kids just take it, tear it lazily. Like they just take it with no balance, no intent. Like they weren't ready to hit it. They saw it early and they just gave up on it. Say so when I scout at high school players, I go, I can go home and I know how to pitch everyone, but how they take the pitch. Mm. They're taking curveballs or lunging or, or they're just doing stuff that's lazy or they're, they're giving me information they don't recognize they don't care i'm gonna kill them with it <laughs> when we play i'm gonna because they take it back you can't i said you get a hitter and i remember paul canerco playing in arizona probably the best high school hit i've ever seen in arizona he took pitches as a freshman that i mean he just took he was so balanced all the time i just remember him like how does that kid not get fooled mm-hmm. he took all his pitches with an intent like i'm gonna be balanced and ready to hit no i'm not that's that's why he is who he is, but I mean, it just goes to show you if you do that, and it takes work. If you have a team that learns how to take pitches and batting packs or just takes pitches well, whew, you have a good hitting team. You saw. So I mean, that's one thing I wish I would emphasize more when I was younger is pitch recognition. Like I did that with a USA team when I was throwing to them. I found out some of those kids couldn't recognize a curveball or a slider when I was throwing to them in mm-hmm. the cage. So we're just going to do pitch recognition. We're not going to swing. What? Ever done this before? No. Eight pitches. I want you to tell me where where the pitch ended up and what pitch it was. I was throwing breaking pitches to guys who were drafted actually one. Brady House is one of them. He was drafted one. He was in 17. I was throwing breaking pitches to that kid in 17 years ago. He couldn't. He couldn't hit him. In, he couldn't hit him. In. Everybody knew it too. So they're throwing breaking pitches. The pitchers. But I realized. I said. So I got him in the cage. And I'm going. Recognize the pitch. I was on fastball and breaking pitch. He can, he can, he recognized it was really, really late. So that's why he had a hard time. Now I think he's really improved on it, obviously. But you would think he kid like that. Wow, he recognized he didn't. There's a couple of them that couldn't. They literally did not recognize. They thought it was a fastball sometimes. Then I was breaking pitch. It was. I mean, so you would take that for granted, right? Sometimes, and I've had kids that couldn't never. I mean, they couldn't hit a curveball because they couldn't recognize it. They thought a curveball was a fastball. They couldn't recognize it. I didn't know that until I started doing it, and I did it later. Should have done it 10 years before. But I, I thought, well, that's a waste of time in practice. Or you get set a hack attack up. This happened real good. He was drafted. He was a good college player. Hack attack's still, and I go, here, this reason we're throwing break pitch hack attack. Take, let's hang it, bang it, but slow, let it go. And Taking pitches just as important as hitting pitches, right? I mean, mm. that's what you want to do, right? A breaking pitch because yeah. once you swing something garbage, right? He comes back after I tell him this. That was the waste of time, coach. I go, what was a waste of time, man? Goes, well, I only got, I was over there and I, I only swung at five pitches. And then there's about 20 pitches out of, I only swung at five. Well, were there five good pitches? Yeah, but the other 15 weren't very good. I go, <laughs> what are you telling you? you should swing every pitch that makes you a better hitter but it just goes to show you kids are talented they, they're clueless yeah like that if you didn't if you did that that was really good you you didn't yeah. swing at the stuff you shouldn't be swinging at that's exactly so right 
So good he hitters takes the batting practice and off the machine, he's just swinging everything. Mm-hmm. That's what that just goes to show you pitch recognition. We don't. I, I didn't do a good job of it. Now I do. But I didn't do it earlier. The kids, that's their perspective. Well, I didn't hit. I did use swing. Yeah. Well, I think, I think for me, one of the things that sticks out to me is going back to what you said earlier about like guys not being able to coach that guy, coach that guy because he's really good. When like you can sit there and we're okay with like challenging him realistically and having question, oh, really? Does that mean, is that what that means? You got to swing at every pitch to make a good hitter, you know? Yeah. Like, and he's like, oh, well, you know, like, so I, I think, I think right then, right there's a conversation showing that, you know, you're a great coach being able to challenge him you know, get him to think that and say, oh, yeah, like, good. That's what good hitters do. That's what make Mike Trout so good. If you look at Mike Trout's numbers, it's not so much. Yeah. He he swings at the pitches he should. When yeah. Bonds when Bonds was another human, uh, just not human during his era, was he got one pitch to hit a game and he didn't miss it. That's right. He didn't. That was it. Yeah. I know they asked Paul, Gold, Paul Goldschmidt said this. He was in Arizona. Somebody asking the question. What are you most disappointed in with it, within a bat? He goes, Oh, that's an easy one to answer. He goes, I'm most disappointed with myself, but I didn't swing at my pitch. I'm looking for my pitch, I didn't swing at it. That's when I'm most disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that's just says volumes about like, you know, at that level, they're guessing a lot of times anyway, but if they get their pitch, they're so good they hit it. Oh, yeah. That's what's fascinating they- to me is how good at hitters they are. I'm like, gosh, I mean, you're waiting for a pitch and you get your pitch and you you go on it. I mean, it's just one pitch. You're so good. It's so amazing good. to me how they hit and pitching so good too. So yeah, yeah, but that's one thing I think I could have done a better job of earlier on. I wish I would have. I just didn't. I thought I thought I don't want to. I I thought I was like this kid. Well, we need to swing and hit balls. Yep, that makes us better, right? Yep, and batting practice makes us better, right? So yeah, bad me, man. Should learn that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, always getting better, man. Coach, it's just yeah. been amazing. It's pure wisdom. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. I know we've been we've been at an hour and a half now. I cannot believe. Oh my gosh, it. I didn't realize. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, so it was great. I just, I mean, I sat and I took a ton of notes, and I really appreciate it. it helped me get better. Uh, if they, like you said, um, if the, everybody would want to reach out to you, maybe about like the one on one stuff or more situational things, would they, what's the best way to maybe to, yeah get in touch with you? Uh, my email, I, I'll, I'll text you my email and my phone number. They can call me. I like talking to coaches okay. too. Yeah, so I'll just text you my email and my phone Wasn't number. Wasn't it um, Husky Coach? Is that what it was? Yeah, huskycoach2 at gmail.com. There's a huskycoach1 at yahoo.com. But have them text me or have them go huskycoach2 at gmail. Okay. And then my phone number, if you want it, it's 602 291. One nine five two. They can call me anytime. I love talking with coaches because I learn from them. See, I'll, I'll be asking them questions. That's it. That's it. That's it. Well, that's that's what makes you great, Coach. I I cannot thank you enough for for this. Time. Thank you for having me, man. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, you know. And and um, you know, I'm really glad to, we can hook up. And I can't wait to the next time we touch and talk. Yeah. Thanks a lot for doing all you're doing. It's really great what you're doing, man. You're making a lot of difference for a lot of coaches, especially kids. Coach Eric Kibler, USA Baseball, retired legendary coach from Horizon High School in Arizona, just with a ton of information, a ton of knowledge, and um, can't thank him enough. Just a lot of, like I said, main points for me was just the the vulnerability, the trust factor, you know, continuing to talk about it wasn't him. He's modeling the behavior. He's exactly the kind of coach you inspire to be, try to be, you know, modeling with my actions um, and 
getting more that leadership is just about you have to have set the example. Uh, it starts at the top. Um, it's not do as I say, not as I do. Uh, you need to do it. You need to preach it. And Coach Kibler is, is that exact guy, that exact model. Um, starts off being with a great teammate. Those are absolutes. Comes off from his program. Uh, I love to talk about you. If you're playing a team sport, you need to go out and do extra effort just for the sake of the team, <laughs> for those around you. Just a great way to put that. If you're playing a team sport, you should always put in extra time for your teammates. A great Coach Kibler comment that'll probably always stick with me. Um, it's practice planning, bar none. Yeah, I don't. You cannot be a, a great coach without having attention to detail with your practice plans. Um, whether that might be it, there, should, there should be some type of planning done. Some people are to the minute, Coach Kibler to the second. Some people are checklists. Uh, regardless, is they're all planning in some some matter, and it's everything's purposeful, and comes down to like he said. I'm not going to expect them to do it in the game if we haven't gone over it, we haven't practiced it. So we need to continue to do that and help guys get to that point. So, again, uh, reaching out to him, huskycoach2 at gmail.com. Any questions you might have, he also gave his phone number. Very fortunate of that. And it just shows the kind of learner and kind of share, selfless guy he is to, to be able to pass on as much as he can with his cell phone and, all the information that he shared. So uh, if you haven't checked out the USA Baseball coaching manual that he, that he, that he wrote, check that out. Um, well, Coach Kibler, I can't thank you enough and continue um, doing great stuff and, and uh, being the leader for us all. So thanks so much, and uh, thank you guys all, especially those guys at Netting Pros. Thanks, Will Miner. Thanks to the guys at Netting Pros. Continue to sponsor us. And um, lucky to be in, uh, be involved with the Netting Pros chat guys and the group, a group of uh, unbelievable guys that are in it for the right reasons. And, Continue to help our grow our game the right way, and it's much bigger than all of us. So thanks to all those guys, Netting Pros and Will Meyer, and until next time, keep getting better. <laughs>